So hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Two Medics podcast. My name is Thushigan Wardner, I'm a cardiology registrar subspecialising in intervention and today it's just me, um, Imran's well, what's going on with Imran? So there's a bit of explaining to do. That makes it sound really like ominous sounding and stuff. Basically, we've both been really, really busy. Um, I think we can complain about how busy we are every week. So I'm sure like the people who listen will kind of like uh, know all the reasons. Like I'm uh, training for the London Marathon. Um, I'm writing my MD thesis. Obviously, I've had quite a big bulk of on calls and stuff. And Imran does a lot of extra stuff, doesn't he? Extracurricular and curricular and it's just finding the time. Um, what with that and then like also being unwell and stuff, it's just been really difficult. Um, and that, although that sounds kind of doom and gloom, as with all this next bit, which is that kind of talking to one another, we've decided that perhaps trying to put out episodes every week isn't necessarily, well, isn't very sustainable. It's difficult. We've been doing it for, two, well, two years now, I guess, if we've done over 100 episodes. And... Uh, we were kind of thinking if we could perhaps move it to either once every two weeks or probably more likely once a month. And that's not because we don't enjoy doing it or that it's not doing well. In fact, I've got to talk to you about a kind of new sponsor. But um, it's more that, you know, just finding the, ti- the time and to just kind of not make up stuff on the fly, um, we kind of decided that it's probably going to be a monthly thing. And that really kind of does coincide a bit with... Um, Ramadan that's coming up really soon and so we kind of thought um, with that that we'd probably dial back a little bit. I was still thinking that I'd perhaps do like a few solo episodes here and there just to kind of like you know if I've got time just to kind of put something out so that you know if you really miss our voices or you know want to hear a bit about what's been going on and you've been offline for a bit then you can still do that but um, the kind of the proper two medics episodes will be you know, probably about um, once every month, we think. Um, So, yeah, we have been sponsored now by uh, a company called Scrubs. Uh, I say company, but like, you know, they're a group of medics like us and um, they're mutuals from Twitter. Uh, So their kind of products are called um, Scrubs, S-C-R-B-S. So give them a follow. Um, I think so if you that as well specifically the handle is at scrbs underscore uk and basically they make awesome scrubs now uh, <laughs> like I guess like people are going to roll their eyes and be like yeah obviously you're going to say that I've never really been the kind of person that's kind of thought I definitely want my own kind of like um, personal scrubs but honestly you know that kind of rush in the morning like especially on a Monday morning to go and get scrubs that fit me and then you know if you're there like five minutes late and literally all you've got left are the either the very small or the extra 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 large scrubs and it's just ridiculous <laughs> so that's one advantage and two oh my gosh like the number of like scrubs that i've worn that got holes in their pockets or literally you know they've just got this like I, this seems like a ridiculous thing to get excited about but you know like the standard scrub pocket positions now i don't know about you guys but the t- number of times where i've like lent over this is embarrassing but you know when you like lean over and then your phone drops out of your pocket because of the placing of that the number of times that's happened infuriatingly you know like when you're bending over a patient or whatever it's just 
it is annoying. It does annoy me. It does affect my choice of pocket. Anyway, these the the scrubs that um, we've tried. So they've got two colours at the moment. There's navy and burgundy, um, and they have like just innumerable number of pockets. It's so that I mean that's what that seems to be what the nurses have kind of pointed out when I've been wearing them. One is that they like the colours, and two, oh wow, you've got quite a lot of like pockets. And um, so I've got to say that, but also they're kind of really stretchy and comfortable. So it's kind of like wearing pyjamas. So at the moment, uh, these days, I tend to wear them when I'm doing nights just because I, you know, I just, I think it fits in quite nicely with the night vibe, you know, just to kind of be walking around in comfort. I haven't been wearing them much during the days, mainly because, you know, going to the lab and stuff and worried about getting them dirty. And I think, you know, like when you get something new and it's still, they're still really quite kind of like fresh and cool. I really like them. So um, anyway, so there, we have a promo code which so if you do decide to like check them out and buy them if you put in um uh well actually i think you can do so if you do two medics so t w o m e d i c s 10 as in one zero um then uh when you uh, you should get 10 percent off which is awesome right so uh check them out anyway and it really is like they are quite cool so i do recommend them um uh, I think they're quite a good gift. I might ask for some for my birthday or something. Anyway, yeah. So it's that's kind of exciting. It is kind of it's weird that it kind of fits in with us kind of saying that we're gonna do slightly less. But what we're hoping to do in in kind of exchange for perhaps doing a, f- a fewer episodes is doing more on like YouTube and whatever. So unfortunately, that does mean you'll see more of our faces and stuff. Um, and it just means we well, hope that like the content will be a bit better. So bear with me anyway as I go through the the topics uh for the week but I have to say I mean obviously today is kind of it kind of feels a bit auspicious so I was supposed to be going on tonight's tomorrow evening but um so this is the Sunday evening before the strike start and it feels funny I feel funny I feel like I'm pre-nights but not in exactly the same way there's this kind of there's usually a kind of nervous tension whereas at the moment it's just kind of tension because I haven't really seen much in the news about the strikes recently I mean obviously I've seen a few tweets from Steve Barkley who like standard like nine o'clock on Friday evening was like oh yeah I've messaged the BMA to like talk about negotiations like what mate you waited till you've had like months now and two two days before the strikes you decide on a Friday evening I mean that's some like that reminds me of like when I got like an email from HR at literally like five minutes to five about something that I had to they said that I needed to respond to as soon as possible you know in order for me to get paid on time correctly that month and when I replied literally within minutes because I was like oh my god it's minutes before five and I was at work um I got the out of office reply even before five. It's the same vibe, man. The same vibe. Like they've just sent that out and being like, take that, I'm off. And you know, it just it just shows like the massive disdain for junior doctors. But and you can also the the thing that I've noticed with interest is how they've treated the kind of nursing strikes. Didn't they like so they've offered to kind of go into negotiation with them and then they've just completely blanked them, haven't they? They've just you know acting with a whole load of nonsense and so it's looking I think anyway from looking online like they're going to be more nursing strikes and they basically just use this whole you know oh we're going to negotiate as a way of just kind of delaying more strikes and just uh, smoke screens and all that kind of stuff and I think one of the important things that doesn't really get talked about when they do that kind of thing is how costly this whole process is to unions and you know 
like balloting and stuff you know because it has to be done by mail which i'm sure is something that is kind of purposefully done to suit the government to make it difficult for trade unions to do and also expensive um is is that they want to make this as costly and as difficult for obviously the members but the unions to do as possible to kind of orchestrate and organize and there was a tweet um recently from a trust that i think was also blocking emails um between basically people were kind of communicating amongst one another about how to organize themselves for the strike so i think it was leeds hospital and they blocked the trust doctors reps from emailing doctors in the trust um which apparently that's so that's against i think that's against certain like guidelines it must be right but so but basically just any means necessary i mean that's like that's some shady stuff and honestly i just they it just seems like there's like no level to which the the government will kind of stoop and you know these people in power will stoop to kind of undermine people and so of course predictably like i was i was actually quite a junior registrar back in 2016 shows how old i am um still a registrar now god uh hopefully coming up towards the end but anyway uh, i was a registrar back in 2016 and I remember like champagne, like pictures of doctors on holiday started becoming like an, a focus of interest in the news. So like they were, the um, newspapers were mining people's Facebook profiles and then taking pictures without obviously without people's consent because you know like public forum or whatever. So I'm sure they're going to do that to us, um, and then putting out this thing. Look how much doctors get paid. You know, just kind of stirring up indignation and stuff. But I feel like I mean, if you're just looking around, it looks like. No, and like, unlike in 2016, people are they're saturated with the nonsense now. Like in 2016, people were you know perhaps like buy into it way more, obviously because they voted. You know, people have voted obviously for the Tories to come back into government. You know, twice since then. But um, I think you know you could see about how you know the reaction to Gary Lineker and the amount of support for him across the divide, like even like Tories and stuff saying, "Oh, this is ridiculous," and just you know. I just don't I don't think there's the same appetite for calling people out on the strikes that there was. But, you know, I have no doubt that they'll still try to undermine the process and say that, oh, you know, doctors get played in Ferraris and croissants and stuff. And so it's going to get dirty. And that's kind of, that is a bit scary. That is a bit scary. Um, but what can you do? I mean, like, essentially, it is ridiculous. People need to get paid, you know, in line we need to get paid in line with inflation you know there's been a real terms pay cut uh since 2008 and we're not worse we're not worse doctors than the doctors you know that our that our colleagues were in 2008 we're not worse we're doing more and it's harder now so, so we shouldn't be getting paid less than them simply put anyway so moving on to kind of like tweets from the week, I'm sure there are some kind of tweets in this thread, that, you know, in this episode that we'll talk about the strikes, but just to kind of move on, because there are a few other really interesting topics. So there's a tweet from David Warren, who's a photocardiologist. Hello. I think he's in Sheffield. Um, I'm paying like particular attention these days to where cardiologists are because so I am coming up towards the end of my training. Um, uh, the reason why it's so protracted is because I went out of training to do 
an MD. Oh God, how many times have I talked about that? I went out of training to do an MD and then that was obviously prolonged because of COVID because I did the okie cokie. I went out to do like research, then went back in because of COVID, then went back out again to finish my research, which was completely torpedoed by COVID. It's like, how can you recruit patients for a study when everyone, you know, when like there's a pandemic that looks kind of bad, you know, like calling research patients up. Um, so that's kind of like really prolonged things, but I'm coming up towards the end. So now, like whenever I'm seeing people, I'm like, oh, you know, where do they where do they work? And I think the thing about that is that is something that people and I'm not sure if people really talk about that, you know, like when they're coming up towards the end of training, like how do you how do you get a job like at the end of it? How do you get a consultant job? It kind of there's an air of mystique about like a mystique about it. Um, and I do think, I think that's across a lot of specialties. I mean, like there are certain specialties. I remember Steve Makin saying that, you know, in Jerry's, in certain areas, like as soon as the people get their ST3 number, people are thinking, oh, you know, where is that person going to be a consultant? You know, trying to tap them up and stuff. And that's great. You know, I'd have loved that. Um, but obviously, I think in most specialties, and this is obviously one of the focuses of upset and disappointment and anger amongst junior doctors is the number of applicants for posts that, that there are for you know specialty training posts but also for consultant numbers just not enough and so it's so competitive um and so i just kind of so what do you do so the general advice that i've been given from other people is is that you should try you should approach people because essentially there are places where if there's money and they like you, then people may well create a job for you. Even if there isn't like a, necessarily a vacancy coming up, they may work, they could create a post for you. And to do that, you probably need to speak to kind of like whoever the head of the department is and say, you know, look, I really like working here. You know, I'm thinking of buying a house here or, you know, settling down here, that kind of thing. And just being upfront with whoever the kind of head of the department is. That's, that's the kind of first way to go. But the other thing that you should be doing is probably speaking to the people senior to you, the more senior trainees, and just finding out the lay of the land because there are a few things that you kind of want to know that you, you know you might not have picked up being on the ground as a junior doctor, like what the managerial side of it's like and what that kind of environment is because there can be a lot of toxicity that you know, you're kind of spared from and just not perhaps noticed. And you want to get the vibe on those kind of things. Um, and I guess it's not like before whereby, you know, perhaps getting a consultant job was like dating and, you know, you needed to suss that person out before you make kind of like a really, really big commitment. I think, well, maybe it is like dating in that you don't necessarily have to be all that committed. And when you get a consultant job, it's not like in the past where you'd probably just stay there for life. People do still move from one consultant job to the other. So maybe it is a bit different to that. But in the same way, there's a lot of sussing out that's going on. One other bit of advice I got was that it doesn't matter what you've been like. Well, I mean, obviously it does matter from ST3 to ST5, ST6. That ST7 year is the year where people are really, really intensely watching you. So all that good work that you might have done those early years, you need to keep your nose clean in the last year, not upset anyone. And that's really difficult. And that's what made me think, you know, I was thinking of when I read David Warren's tweet, which said, really wish someone would write a book called Hospital Politics 101, how to not make enemies and influence people. I think it'd be a bestseller. And I know he's obviously being sarcastic, but as in, but, you know, the point, I think there's that whole thing that I know that we've talked about before, which is the unwritten curriculum. And I was like thinking when I was reading this, like what kind of nuggets of kind of wisdom could I impart to kind of, if I was to submit anything, any advice or any wisdom towards this book? 
And one of the things I guess I've learned from being a junior doctor, and one of the things I used to find so difficult, say as an F1, for example, was saying no and how to say no. Because saying no in a hospital setting can be... It can be viewed as aggressive, right? No matter how you, like, say no. And so <laughs> when I've written... Like, I wrote a few things down. And one of the things I wrote was never say no. And... I guess what I mean by that is being as creative as possible in kind of avoiding <laughs> saying no to stuff. I remember like when I was like a junior doctor and one of the things that used to really get my goat would be like when you get called up about, I don't know, say reviewing a patient or whatever. And then the, the nurse or whoever's calling you'd be like, how long will you be? And I remember this used to vex me so much because I'd be like, look, I could tell you like half an hour. But say if in the next half an hour someone calls me about someone who's like peri-arrest, right? Then that, that half an hour that I told you 15 minutes ago no longer is valid, I'm afraid, because I'm going to have to go and see that other patient. That might take up quite a lot of my time. But what's going to happen, and I know, unfortunately, is that you're going to call me in another 15 minutes time to say, you said you'd be here half an hour ago and you're not here. And then you're just going to waste more of my time asking me what I'm doing. And I'll be like, I'm actually really stressed right now because I'm with a sick patient or whatever. And I remember like I used to go through this kind of these imaginary conversations in my head whenever someone's asking me, like, how long are you going to be? And I remember like this uh, colleague being like, I'd just say I'll be there shortly. And I was like, oh, wow, that sounds like an answer. But it's not really an answer, is it? It kind of gives you the impression of urgency, but it's not really. And I think those kind of things, those kind of like non-answers that kind of give something, but not, I mean, it sometimes works, sometimes doesn't work. Um, These days now, I do try and like level with people and say, look, you know, I'll try and be there as quickly as I can. But these these are the things that I need to do right now. And, you know, um, I do find that in cardiology in particular, people's, one of the problems or one of the I think one of the worst things about cardiology I guess is that sometimes regardless of what's going on um, one of the reasons why it can be so difficult is even though obviously cardiology is important it seems to be like next level important to other people that you could you see their patient like right away because I think because it stresses people out right if people are like oh you know stuff's gone wrong, going wrong with the heart then the next logical step will be like a cardiac arrest oh my god and so you've got to be there right 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 this second even if they've had left bundle branch block since 2016 like you need to still go and like run to their patient like right there and then because they're worried right and they were but the problem is is that if literally every phone call you get like that is like that then you know you, you can't physically do it but obviously like to tell that story to everyone is very difficult um and i have to admit that like i I don't think i'm still like that great at kind of like managing it i generally say look i'll come and see your patient um for a lot of people that's enough but the time frame thing well if you've got any better suggestions than saying shortly which is what i still use to this day 10 years down the line then you know i'd love to hear it from you guys so the other things are finding allies like Ultimately, the cohort of people that you're in, say, for example, if you're in a group of SHOs or your group of registrars, you need to have them on side. They're your backup. They're the people who you're going to be swapping your holidays with. They're going to be the people who cover for you if, you know, if you're if, if you're sick or whatever. And, you know, it can be very difficult. I find that, like, in the WhatsApp group, some people are more engaged than others. You know, obviously, like, people have their own lives and stuff and they don't necessarily rely on 
<laughs> you guys as like a friendship group as and that you know that's sad um but that's just uh, unfortunately the way it is um but kind of trying to form allies and kind of strong relationships with your colleagues it sounds obvious but it's it is important to kind of like try and put the work in and by that i mean you know i try and be sociable like i try and like do um try and get get togethers and whatever like try and do stuff like that um Perhaps more importantly than that is to try and find mentors. So that's a bit of advice that I've been given, which is that, you know, find someone senior, like find a consultant who, you know, and say like, you know, will you be my mentor? Like, you know, and, and because, you know, there, pro- there probably is, there are people out there who could write the book and how to do it. And what you, you know, the, the kind of pe- people who've been in the department a long time, they will have seen it all. So it is worth trying to like tap into their knowledge and stuff. And so trying to get some mentorship um, is invaluable. And I don't think it's just from like getting advice from them, but it's like connections and that kind of thing and just kind of hearing about opportunities early and stuff. It does require a lot of confidence, though, to like approach people and a bit of brazenness. that I don't necessarily think I have. I find it I found it difficult. I've got a, I've gotten better as I've gotten older at advocating for myself. And I think one of the reasons why I've done that is because or I've gotten better is because I do think to myself, well, what is there to really lose? by asking the worst they could say is like make up some terrible excuse for why they're too busy or whatever in which case you haven't really lost anything and you've shown a bit of initiative and that it's like a sign of respect that you want them to be your mentor so those are probably my bits of advice for now um but obviously as you know i have been a registrar for a long time so maybe you should be doing the stuff that i'm not doing (laughs) so that you'll be more successful maybe that's it maybe just do like the opposite of what i'm doing and then you'll be fine everyone will be fine that's what everyone tells me anyway like when i get stressed about i'm like oh you know don't know where i'm gonna end up working don't know if i have a job at the end he's like mate work out i i felt exactly the same way and i'm like but how though but how and he's like it'll be fine it'll work out right okay um so there you go it'll be fine says imran that's his that's his message Okay, so there was a a kind of thread on Junior Doctors UK subreddit. And I have to say straight off the bat, the mods mods on that uh, subreddit clamped down that thread really, really fast. Um, So they obviously recognised that some of the kind of the kind of vibe was going a particular way. But I wanted to read what the, the post was. And because the thing was, is that a lot of reactions to it were like, mm, you know, I don't see what the problem is. And I don't know. I mean, I could, there's a, there are a whole load of dog whistles in there, but I wonder if I read it out, whether you can kind of pick up on it. So the post says, does the public want UK graduate doctors treating them? It's obvious the government does not care about UK grads. Interesting. Hence allowing, oh, sorry, I'm influencing you. Hence, allowing the training situation an absolute shit show for UK grads where you are competing with the whole world. An excellent foreign grad colleague has told me that his sister and more than half of her class in Pakistan have already started preparing for the PLAB MSRA MRCP from second year med school and hope to come here once qualified. He said this is normal in his med school abroad and presume it's the same in places like India, Nigeria, etc., That just means it's going to get even more competitive in the future as these students haven't even graduated. And with the influx of new students in the UK, the training situation will not improve, even if they substantially improve the training post numbers as they do not have enough money. 
The only way we can sort this out is by using the public, in my opinion. The government just wants cheap labour. And the salaries in the UK are amazing compared to developing countries. Does anyone think that public cares about this enough to alter the government's stance on foreign grads being on an equal ladder for training posts? Ladders, eh? They're obsessed with ladders. Or maybe we we get UK med schools to change something, as surely there is no point in doing medicine in the UK only to have to do an F1 year, whereas doing it abroad and applying for an SHO role after doing a standalone F2 is an option. And that, this is this raises an interesting point, which I've kind of seen subsequently, which is basically a whole lot of people really resenting the fact that they have to do the foundation program. And I have to say, I think as a kind of separate kind of like offshoot, there were some other threads, and I don't think it necessarily was spawned from this, or maybe it was. You don't know really what's in a person's consciousness when they tweet stuff. But there was a thread um, that kind of was along the lines of people saying, what specialty did you believe you'd go into at the beginning of med school? And what did you end up going into? So Bethan, she's a great example. So for her, she thought she was going to be doing neurology. So she nearly quitted medicine completely in F1. Um, and then she thought she was, she'd, well, she did neurosurgery and she did that up until quite a senior level. And then she left medicine to do disability assessment. And now she's in GP. So, I mean, that's quite a kind of circuitous course, isn't it? And my point is, is that it can be really difficult to know what you're going to do. So when I was at medical, when I, when I started medical school, I think I pretty much thought I was going to be a surgeon. I didn't really know what that meant. Like, I like the idea of saving lives. I guess that's what like people talk about, isn't it, when they apply to medical school and the romance of that and being like Benton from ER and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I should have realised that, like, I was much more like JD than Turk from Scrubs. Oh, my gosh, that's probably too old a reference for people who might be listening. But anyway... Um, but anyway, through med school, I thought, actually, what kind of surgeon would I want to be? And then I quite like the idea of treating children. Oh, a paediatric surgeon. And so I think by the time I'd like finished med school, I kind of thought I wanted to do surgery. But then, like, that's what I thought, you know, that's what I said. But now thinking back, like, what are the topics that I... Sp- I remember, like, not doing an awful lot of, like, surgical revision and not being, like, super into dissection. So who was I fooling, really? But really, it was during F1 and F2 that I kind of, you know, decided. So the first job was respiratory medicine. Second one was HPV surgery. And when I was doing surgery then, you know, I went to theatre maybe once, maybe once, very briefly. Um, but I knew just from the cohort of surgeons, that these were not people that I wanted to like, work with. Like, I just didn't like the environment. I just didn't like, I didn't like, you know, the ward rounds were like, CRP, 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 CT scan, CT scan, CT scan, CT scan. And then you go to like the radiologist and hassle them for CTs. Like it was just so mind-numbingly dull. And like when, when I'd like watch surgery at med school, you're just standing around for ages, like standing for ages. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't. And so I was like, oh my God. And I found that I was just identifying more with like medics. And then I did cardiology and it was incredibly gratifying for me. Like, it was so gratifying, like, you know, seeing a person come in with a STEMI and go to the lab and they come out and they're better. Or, like, seeing someone, like, come in and they're, like, have complete heart block and maybe need, like, a temporary wire because they're really sick and they have a pacemaker and then they're better. Or, like, people who have, like, emergency pericardiocentesis and then they're better. You know, I was like, wow, all these things that you could do, like, straight away and you make them better, like, straight away. And that suits, like, my really short attention span. Um, But, like, and that was through, like, an F2 job. And I just kind of, like, wonder if the value of that's perhaps kind of like 
lost if you're kind of thinking to yourself, oh, it's just like a way of getting like NHS experience. That's one of the kind of conversations I ended up having with someone on Twitter. Like, is that what you think it is? Like NHS experience? Like, what does that even really mean? Like, what is the NHS experience? Like, uh, operating in a healthcare system where like provision is like challenging like isn't that like everywhere like health inequality isn't that everywhere like what is the nhs experience and i get the impression that really what they want is they feel like f1 and f2 is a waste of time and or you know just like a way of kind of cutting your teeth or getting putting hairs in your chest and they and and they want that for the graduates from abroad as well the international medical graduates and i just kind of think well if they've got experience abroad then you know, they're going to have to go to induction anyway. And they're going to have to learn about how awful like NHS IT is through induction. Like everyone else is. And it's different from one hospital to the other. And they've all got different elements of toxicity in their cultures. And they're different kind of quirks and whatever from region to region. Like, you know, the way that kind of like the health inequality in London is very different to the way it is in, you know, Yorkshire or Sheffield or, you know, east of England. Like it's different all over. So... When they say, oh, they need to get like NHS experience, what are they really saying? It's very difficult to kind of get them to actually pin down what, what it is other than, oh, yeah, we just think kind of FT is a bit of a waste of time. So we just kind of feel like they should. And, you know, there are people saying, well, you know, I had all this experience before. Like, I didn't see why I'd have to kind of do the pre... I don't know. I didn't get it. But anyway, I guess like one, the kind of the, the con- conclusion anyway that they have otherwise is that if you can kind of reduce i mean basically put off like imgs um that's the other the i i got the vibe from that whole thread that that's essentially what they want they just don't want them right um and then there'll be less competition for training numbers and i do think i did i kind of did i guess it's a subtweet of that or at least the kind of sentiment of those things is kind of um why i kind of tweeted um about I think it's like a Russian... I think there are kind of examples of it in many, many cultures. But the kind of most famous one is a Russian parable. I think it was of Ivan and Boris. And when I tweeted it, I didn't want to mention Ivan and Boris because I knew that someone would be like, oh, you're a communist or some communist propaganda, whatever. But the the way the parable goes um, is that Ivan is a poor man and Boris, his neighbour, has a goat. And Ivan is jealous of Boris's goat because... You know, the goat is by means of him getting milk and cheese and stuff. And he's, you know. So anyway, one day Ivan is fortunate enough to come across a fairy. He promises that he'll grant Ivan. I know what the fairy's male in this Sunday. So um, the fairy promises to grant Ivan whatever he desires. And Ivan wishes that Boris's goat will drop dead. And basically the meaning of that parable, to me anyway, is that rather than kind of hoping for better conditions for all or whatever, or even just betterment for yourself, you'd rather just take away that opportunity for other people. And I do kind of wonder if there's a sentiment of like, if it's hard for me, then it's got to be hard for everyone else. Rather than, you know, thinking to yourself, if there were more training numbers, then, you know, this would benefit everyone. But I guess maybe that speaks to a certain level of insecurity. Like maybe they just don't feel good enough compared to the IMGs. And so they're worried that even if there were more training numbers, maybe they would get jobs over them because they're better in some way. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But um, anyway, that whole vibe was just kind of wrong. And, there's, you know, I I think the Junior Doctors uh, UK subreddit is actually really good. There are some like really good posts and stuff. And... Um, a lot of the energy 
like towards the kind of um to striking again there was a lot of energy for that in the junior doctors uk thing i think the way that they've kind of been really self-congratulatory about it since then has been rather like weird because it's like well haven't got pay straight you know haven't got the pay rise yet and stuff and also like no, you, you're never really honest about who composed you and you were kind of unelected and whatever so at the moment you're this kind of weird nefarious monolith that nobody really knows anything more about apart from the members within you which you know it's like the ERG and the Conservative Party like who trusts that and you know you can't help but wonder like when you don't you don't feel kind of confident enough to um, give your identities out like why is that? That's kind of suspect, isn't it? Anyway, so that thread was trash and it got trashed. So there you go. Um, so more stuff about the strikes. So uh, one thing that's obviously been another thing that's awesome that the BMA have done is the rate card. Isn't that so cool? Like being able to say, look, this is the BM, this is the BMA recommended rate. And it's nice to have that unified rather than in the past having to be like, well, this trust offers this and then having to send proof this way and that. And, and they did it for the consultants. And the interesting thing about that is that to cover the strikes, you know, consultants have been like, well, this is, you know, extra, this is extra stuff. So to get extra pay, here's the BMA rate card. Love that. Love that energy. And so there was a tweet from um, Miran Pankania. And he said, a, fundament, a fundamental understanding of how the strike is designed to cause maximum destruction. You as the consultant should have the bollocks to say, this is out with my job plan. Pay me the BMA rates. Today's trainees are tomorrow's consultants and your colleagues with a spine. So, you know, I think uh, I like that. I like that vibe. It's good. Um, whatever whatever rate they choose to be paid, um, ever so grateful that they're they're doing this for us. I do feel you know, I do feel guilty. Um, I got like a, a message from one of the bosses being like, oh my God, yeah, my note. Uh, so I messaged them being like, oh, you know, thank you so much for like covering my nights. And one reply being like, oh, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to it and whatever, you know, just like really like nice and whatever. And one of the guys is like, oh yeah, you know, it's terrible because I don't have like an SHO on the night. So it's just me. And I was like, mate, you, we've never, we never had an SHO. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. And he's like, yeah, but I'll, you know, I'll have to like, uh, prescribe night sedation and stuff I wouldn't have anyone to do that for me and I'm like yeah that's exactly what yeah what we're doing yeah that's what the ridges are doing overnight and you know <laughs> that's the way it is but it's really funny to see and that's why that's what motivated me to do that tweet about um, the discharge letters because I'm like I feel like it is going to be kind of eye-opening like I'm sure it's going to be fine like for the consultants it's going to be fine I think what will happen is, is that suddenly stuff will be very rational and they'll be like people will recognise suddenly the nonsense is nonsense and there won't, you know, and it'll be easier for them to say no and for the, the line to be drawn at their no. Whereas like a registrar's no is a no, but maybe, whereas the consultants are like, no. And, you know, it's not a no, but maybe, maybe, like, no. Um, so there'll be lots of that, you know, to, and I think, you know, in some ways, the, uh, consultant reviews every day of like patients on the ward, that, that'll be good, you know, like, um, but obviously, at the same time, I don't think anyone's going to think... I'm not saying that there's going to be a bed of roses for anyone. Obviously, like, a lot of stuff is going to be cancelled for this. And um, so, you know, it's not all kind of roses. Um, but I think I, it will also be nice for our, 
some of our bosses to get like an insight into what you know a partial insight because obviously it'll be it'll be different for them into like you know what we kind of like deal with and you know just the kind of weird clunky into it systems that we have to navigate for them quite often and you know oh like a new score of six triggers an automatic like registrar review and maybe they'll you know the ones that be like try, uh, saying in the past oh yeah this thing happens yeah you know you need to get the registry this thing happens yeah you need to get the registry review and then realizing that if all of those pathways lead to the reg, then, you know, that's just one person. And maybe maybe an increase some kind of empathy in that area, you know? So I'm positive about it in that way. There was an interesting tweet from Ben Vesker, uh, who's talking to the medical students, because obviously there have been some, like, tweets about, oh, don't be a scab, don't be a scab, don't cross the line, you're a scab, see? And stuff. And Ben took, uh, had a kind of nuanced take, which is, you know, nice to see another cardiology registrar who's seems so sensible, such a sensible boy. Um, I cannot emphasise enough how medical students should stay far, far away from hospitals on strike days, but not for the reason you think. Wait for it. Consultants are not cancelling clinics to create a great educational atmosphere for students. There will be no teaching. The risk of acting beyond competence is very high. <clears throat> and that's interesting because there have been some emails going around, haven't there, where they've been asking medical students if they'd like to step up and be like clinical support workers or something, you know, like some weird acronym and paying them like £11 an hour to like, what, take take up the risk? No, I hope they don't do that. But yeah, so I thought that was an interesting take without calling anyone a scab. Um, I think people have to do what they got, you know, they've they got to do. They're going to be people who are like worried about their visas. They're going to be like medical students who want to kind of go for their educational experience or they want to, you know, whatever. But ultimately, like nobody can argue with the kind of massive mandate that there was for striking. And, you know, I'm sure I think people will do what they need to. I think people are kind of pretty united on this, which is amazing, especially because it's very difficult. I think it is quite difficult to unify doctors anyway. Like we're all kind of contrarians and think we know better, right? Like we hear a story, we're like, oh, but did you think about the PE? Did you think about, did you think about that? Did you think about it? You know, all love to be that person, I think. And so the fact that we've got so many people to agree to do this in the first place is amazing. And, you know, so that's great. So, um, moving on. There was a tweet from Shivani. Shivani Mystery. You might have heard of her. She's a um, metabolic, a consultant in metabolic medicine and diabetes. And so she tweeted on the 3rd of March. She said, I'm a fellow of two royal colleges and will resign from one, bit dramatic, as their fees are £620. That's a bit dramatic. A ridiculous sum of money for virtually no benefits. I've been told that if I resign, I won't be able to use my post no meals. Nominals? Nominals? Nominals, sorry, God. I guess the rules are college dependent, but has anyone else done this? I mean, I can't, no, I don't. I've got enough letters in my own name without adding any more, but um, I think the whole paying money just to have a qualification thing seems kind of is off, isn't it? And she said, to clarify, I'm not planning on using the post nominals if prohibited, but I wonder if there are grounds to use it within the year achieved specified oh with the year achieved specified so if you say i got it this year and you put that down then it's like what i paid for that year kind of thing um and so (laughs) someone said i put mr oh liam barker i put mr ggp 2013 and used the hundreds of pounds to go on holiday instead yeah fair enough fair enough um 
I think that seems like a slam dunk, doesn't it? Like, what, what, is, what does the money actually pay for, really? Like, to keep the letters? Pfft, do that. But there was, like, an interesting reply, which was, like, an alternative view. Ask not what the college does for you, but what you can do for your college. Isn't that, like, some kind of war slogan? Isn't it? Ask not what you could do for your country, but what your country... No, ask not what your country does for you, what you could, what you could do for your country. Did Churchill say that? Or so It was like some, some war slogan. But it's for the Royal Colleges. That seems weird. Anyway, so the person goes on to say, Colleges provide powerful ways to participate in improving their profession. Committees, editorial boards, exams, tutoring, education, being an officer. I don't know what that's about, etc. And all that was number one. I'm not sure about the other ones. But look, what, you're going to pay like £600 a year for the privilege of doing that? Like, if you have to pay to be able to influence... It just seems a bit weird, doesn't it? It's like a bit of a like pyramid scheme thing, isn't it? That's what it sounds a bit like then. I don't know. Anyway, Johnny Gukin was there to um, be the voice of reason. He said, Dr... Oh, sorry, I shouldn't say who that person was. Whilst I agree that college participation can be brilliant, speaking as a college trainee... Oh, Spain trainees chair myself. All right, Johnny, chill out. <laughs> I disagree with your alternative view. We are membership organisations. We exist to listen to, advocate and provide education to our members. We 100% agree on the need for more participation from members. But there is a huge anti-Royal College sentiment out there currently. We don't overcome this by asking more of our members. We need to demonstrate clearly and effectively what we bring to the table. Yeah, what do you guys do? I mean, that's literally the question, isn't it? Like, what is that money paying for other than the numbers at the end? What, like, you get like a newsletter or a journal every year. There is a cost of living crisis and a cost of training crisis. Royal Colleges have to be part of the solution of the latter. I know loads of work being done by great people across the Royal Colleges, but there is something in innovating how we communicate this as organisations. I really worry about this perception that Royal Colleges outside of the HEEGMC are part of a great big amorphous blob, that word, oh my gosh, who are out to bleed trainees dry from our wine cellars. It's got to the point where literal BMA committees are publicly threatening to sort the Royal Colleges. Um, anyway, that's interesting. Interesting. I don't think, yeah, I, I mean, I've got MRCP. I'm never going to pay for that. What's the point? It's just, uh, nah, got enough letters in my name. Long enough. Um, so, oh, <laughs> there was a thread from Orthopod Reg. So that's Simon, uh, Simon Fleming. So he's a quite kind of, he's done a TED talk, you know, quite kind of like prominent auth, um, Orthoreg, who kind of he espouses the virtues of kind of being good to each other, right? Anti-bullying, and um, he found uh, an email that oh, I'll just read this to you. Gosh, are you a male medical student? Question mark. Then we need you finger pointing at you again, like a war. So- what is this with the people in the war slogans? No one talks about the male disadvantage. Quote. A qualitative study exploring the lived experience of male medical students in Nottingham Medical School. Traditionally, medicine has been a male-dominated field, but in recent years, women have taken over as the majority in medical school populations. Dr. Blankety Blank would like, you to, would like to invite you to discuss your thoughts and experience of medical education here at Nottingham in light of this recent population shift. Because I guess like before a female medical schools, female medical students were enrolled into medicine. There isn't there is probably a paucity of like experience 
dealing with men or is it the fact now that they're women there how it changes their experience and how it might be a bit awkward sitting next to a girl or something or uh, what is it that they're hoping to achieve from this how um his kind of in his quote tweet of this he said when all you've ever known is privilege equality feels like oppression and that is kind of the vibe isn't it isn't it like no one talks about male disadvantage like jesus really is that what's going on here like I think one of the issues that people seem to have or seem to say with kind of trying to push for diversity is just that they kind of imply that perhaps all the men have got their by merit and and therefore anyone else who's kind of entering that space must be there to kind of like fill a quota. And I think there's a kind of implication in that, that men must be the best for the job or something. Is that the implication? I don't... I mean, that's certainly the vibe I get. So... I do think it's funny to suddenly now frame it as like male disadvantage. There are, I mean, I think there are lots of issues and, you know, horrible, horrible stuff that afflict men, like toxic masculinity, for for God's sake. Like, the, we, um, we need more studies on that, I think, because I think like the, the kind of patriarchy, it hurts everyone, doesn't it? It hurts men and women. And... You know, there's that phrase, I probably say too much, which is like the rising tide lifts all boats or kind of, you know, that's a great phrase. And I think the thing is, is that if you improve um, diversity, um, you actually make the situation better for for everyone. Um, and I'm not going to pretend that like these don't have mental costs. OK, fine. Like, you will go from having a room which might have been full of, like, people who all look like you to having it where, kind of, people don't all look like you. But that is the experience that it is for, like, a woman. Like, imagine how it is the other way around. And that kind of cognitive discomfort, I guess, perhaps of... You know, it's like when people kind of say, oh, you know, like I'm walking down the street and I hear lots of people speaking different languages. I'm like, really? How does that like hurt you? Like what kind of fragile mind? Like, am I, I don't know if it feels weird for a second to have someone having a conversation with, uh, like across from you that you don't understand. But that's it, isn't it? That should be gay. That's the that's, that's like life and situations. Like you don't have to be part of every single conversation. You don't have to be part of every single. You don't have to be the in crowd all the time. Like, that level of discomfort is, like, is good. Like, it, it, like because you might have to, like, you might learn something, kind of uh, becoming part of a kind of wider, more kind of cohesive, greater group. Anyway, um, uh, that was kind of an interesting one. Um, so, I'm probably not going to bore you for much longer, but I did think that there, are, there was a tweet from Rohan um, where he was replying to a GP, well, not directly, as he said, not really sure the point of these threads by GPs bashing hospital doctors other than to score brownie points with their own tribe. Of course, hospital discharges can demand ludicrous things from GPs. And we know that, right? It's a tale as old as time. You know, like, GP to check user needs tomorrow, or like, GP to, and like, some of the stuff that they ask GPs to do is like bonkers. And I think one of the problems was, <laughs> like, when I was an F1, I guess, again, I did I did GP as an F2. And I'm ashamed to say that was where I got a lot of insight into, like, what would happen when, 
you know, the letter would then turn up in GP. Not so much from me seeing the letter myself, but from like, you know, speak, like just kind of like listening to like the GPs talking about it. And I do think it's funny, like, because obviously there's bashing either way and whatever, like people cuss whoever. And whether that's cool or whether that's not cool. And, you know, I'm kind of like in two, count, two kind of uh, courts on this because courts or camps I don't know a bit camp I guess um like I guess like people come onto social media to like vent right and say like what's upset them and we do have our silos we have our you know we have kind of mutuals or whatever who will be like oh yeah that's terrible like you know regardless of like what you said and perhaps sometimes even how reasonable it might be um and I guess as human beings we kind of want that validation and at the same time, obviously, we should like be nice and show solidarity with other people and see it the other way and whatever. And I think that's that's why it's good, like in this example that Rohan's given, that he's not kind of named the person directly. And even now, looking back at it, so this tweet was from a week ago. Um, I'm not able to kind of clearly recall like who he's who or what he's talking about. So I think that's probably the best way to do it. But then you get to kind of like complain about what's happened and what you know. And maybe if that person who did it sees that and sees it in that kind of non-accusatory way and they know that they've not directly been called out about it so they're not going to get hassled online about it then maybe they'll have a think about what they said and whether you know it was a reasonable thing to say or not it's funny right um but anyway he goes on to say yeah as a base impatient ward round we sent everyone home for gp to organize heart transplant and brain biopsy pad out our own clinic so that they can have a 40 week wait so that we look busy on the golf course by 10 a.m uh he goes real world hospital doctors and gps get on just fine depend on another seek advice from each other value each other's specialist knowledge and realize their main source of stress is not the other party so i think the thing is is that i mean we've all we've all had yeah we've had like stuff that's kind of happened with colleagues that's just but it's been suboptimal suboptimal but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're all terrible right just but i think we should be able to talk about it without it seeming like we're cussing everyone is that the right answer you know what i've got to say like i still i'm kind of like figuring that stuff out and so in these situations i tend to kind of just kind of like wonder what someone smarter might think on the topic and then correct me and tell me what to think about it so i still am not entirely sure on that one but i think if it's kind of anonymized and whatever not too specific then i think like social media offers the perfect catharsis and you don't need to be talking about every single colleague in that specialty um even if there is probably a theme we know that you know for every kind of like one or two experiences that you have in that way there's going to be so many others who you're not kind of thinking about or talking about because they're not doing that and so they're just not in your consciousness um but there you go it's like on that drive to work isn't it and you come across two people driving like crazies and obviously you've driven around you know in the kind of company of many many other people but it's those two crazies that you're kind of you know will probably most affect your kind of uh, recollection of what that journey was like cool um so I think I've probably come up towards the end. Um, was this this thing by Minna? No. Okay. Fine. Oh, there's one more by Rohan. One more by Rohan. Sorry. Um, this, he says, this is tweet, which is just a two-liner, but it does make me think. 
goes in uh, just asking questions wouldn't be anywhere near as annoying if they were actually interested in answers. And even though he tweeted that, when did he tweet that? On the 8th of March, four whole days ago. Oh my God. Um, it really made me think because there is a whole, and I definitely do this to like troll people. I do it to be annoying. Um, sometimes I try and use my, my kind of annoyingness for good. And I find that there are people who will ask you questions like they're a kind of gotcha. You know, like the whole, what is a woman? That's the like, best one, isn't it? What is a woman? Like, oh, you've got me. I have to give you a definition that you'll then be like, biology, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And it's funny because I find that if you were to kind of like flip that around and then start to ask them questions back, then that kind of discomfort. And I realised that often the way that the, the reason they do that is obviously to create, I mean, it's obvious, isn't it? To create discomfort and to like, you know, have you like explaining yourself in this way where they're kind of like, oh, I've got the upper hand. Oh, yes, this is silly and whatever. And it's annoying, isn't it? It's annoying. I can't believe it's, you know, how long have I been on the internet? And that's the conclusion. But I thought it was profound when I read it at the time, but maybe it's not. Anyway, so the things that I want you to remember, just to, in conclusion, one is that, yes, uh, Imran and I are probably going to be going either down to like once every fortnight or probably once every month. And we're kind of figuring, we're kind of wondering like when is the best time to like release an episode. And I was thinking it might be funny to do it like on payday or something, but you know, whatever. And so there's that. Um, and two, new sponsor. So please check out um, at SCR b s uh, underscore uk um and use the uh promo code so t w o m e d i c s one zero promo code to get 10 percent off um your comfort driven scrubs and if you do do that please 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 treat us and so then um that'd be really awesome to see you in your new um, your new kit that'd be really cool um, so those two things and anything else no that's it that's it well anyway thank you for listening to me rabbit on for nearly an hour oh my god this is going to go out unedited so I'm really sorry about all the pauses and me like sipping on my tea and stuff got a bit of a sore throat um, so for all of you guys stro- uh, striking out there tomorrow best of luck I hope you wrap up warm I bought myself a th- thermos flask flask that sounded a bit northern for a second there didn't it um, especially so you know see you out there I, I can't wait to see your placards and stuff stay strong and you know i hope we get the pay rise that we deserve and yeah so um there should be an episode with me and imran next week so looking forward to speaking to you again then take care everyone bye bye